that was just sick in a good way. It's like, like, like and, and I think Tommy had to be like wearing the tidy whities ah, right? I mean, it's like, man, how is that? So, so, I wanna, I, so I think we should do this in church more often. We play songs like that. This is how I used to go to concerts. Oh, yeah. Right? Right? You with me? Right? right? So that was just great. Hey, I, why is it, all right? Why is it that you cannot hear a song for 20 years, and some of you haven't been alive that but old guys, listen, all right, right? You can hear a song you haven't heard for 20 years and like you're on it, right? You guys are on it. I know every lyric. I know, you know every guitar, lyric, you know everything. And it's like, uh, it's like, it's, it's etched in you. It's like, that's why we're doing classic rock in this whole series because I made them, but, but that's one reason. And the other is because there, there's some things that are just like timeless, right? And they can take you back. And usually songs like, like that, they're anchored back to some like really memorable time in your past. Something was going on there, and I was being kind of formed into something, good or bad. Some of us, that song maybe brought back, oh, I don't remember that part. But anyway, it's like there, there's times in our life that, that formed us. And sometimes those songs take us back. And that's kind of what I want to talk about. We're in this series right now that we're calling, calling Searching for Me, right? Um, and we're trying to identify and unpack, like, what are those, like, big rocks? What are those values? What are those foundational truths that you or we, and I'll tell you why I'm using both pronouns there in a second, what we're looking to or we're listening to that define, like, our identity and our worth, and then however we answer that, like, who am I, who are we type of question, out of that, that defines and drives our mission and purpose in life. The why am I here? Why do we exist? What's the point? Question right? Trying to figure that out. We're looking on it at it on an individual, like you, basis, uh, personal application, but then also kind of we're doing it together when it comes to this place uh, called Flatirons. Who are we? Why are we here? Why God put us on the, on, on the planet? And I can't go back and recap everything I've covered over the last couple of weeks. So if you weren't here, either in person or online or whatever, I, I really encourage you to go back and listen to those first two parts. But I will tell you this, what, what, what we're going to cover today uh, and unpack today, I hope, you know, you're gonna find a lot of, like, value, even if you haven't heard the rest of it, uh, and answer some of those same big questions for yourself. So again, I started this series a couple weeks ago by saying, I, I chose the title for this series, Searching for Me, but really looking back in the rearview mirror, I think a better title would have been, I'm Searching for Truth. I'm Searching for Truth. And now here's, that, here's why that's so important. We're gonna get really philosophical today, okay? Because all of us, everybody on the planet, we're all living our lives by something we call truth. Does that make sense? And then you believe it's true, and then because you believe it's true, then you act out of it like you believe it's true, right? No, no one, I, I may be wrong here, I don't know of anybody who's intentionally trying to live a lie, right? I, I might be wrong there, but, but, but see, 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 here's the other part. See if this applies to you, okay? Um, see, while I think that what I believe to be true is true, there's a strong possibility that I might be wrong on something. I don't think I'm wrong or I'd change it, but I know it's possible I might be wrong on something, and here's why. Because I know some of you and I know you're wrong, right? <laughs> Way off, right? right? But, because, but, it, but, but here's the thing, just like me, you don't think you're wrong. Because if you thought you were wrong, you'd change what you believe and then go do something different, right? Because we're not trying to you know, live a lie. So, so whatever we are believing is true, and trusting in to get us from point A to point B, just follow this way, that's your truth, okay? That's your belief system, we can fill in a whole bunch of words. That's your faith system, and it's your operating system, and then you make all your decisions about how you live your life out of that operating system, right? Out of your truth. Here's the first question I have for us today, all right? Question goes like this. So how do you know that what you believe to be true really is true? How do you know? 
you know, how, how do you answer that question? And this might be like the biggest like revealer of what is or isn't true and whether or not you might wanna right, rethink your current faith system or operating system. S- see if you can follow this definition. It makes sense to me anyway, all right? Truth is when what you believe runs into reality. Then you find out what's really true, okay? Now let me explain it. Let me give you a couple metaphors for that and, and explain that and then we'll apply it closer to home, all right? G- go with me on this. I thought, believed, right? that I had plenty of gas in my truck, okay? But as I was driving down the road, reality, it stopped running. And then I found out it was really true. I was wrong. I was out of gas. What? Maybe the gauge that I trusted in, had faith in, believed in, right, was broken and feeding me false information. Maybe I thought, and this never happened to any of us, I I know it's low, but I'm in a hurry, and so I think, I believe that I can make it a few more miles, but I was wrong, and now I'm stranded on the side of the highway. Operation failure, okay? So here's the follow-up question on that. So what does it take to not only get back on the road, but to find an operating faith, belief, whatever system that won't leave you broken down and stranded again? And we're not really talking about trucks. You understand that, right? Let me, let me take that metaphor and apply it to other areas of life. I thought, I believed, I had faith that if I did A, B, and C, my marriage would be fine. Would be good, right? Would be awesome, maybe, all right, if I did A, B, and C really, really well. But then something happened. It's called life, right? And now, honestly, it's out of gas. And I feel like I'm stranded on the side of the road all by myself. I, how about this? I thought, I believed, I had faith that if, if I always do this the right way and never do things like that, I thought, I believed that, here we go, my family, my children, my parents, my career, my health, our finances would be fine. Let's see if this feels familiar. But I know that the service engine light has been on for a while. And honestly, I, I knew something was wrong, but I, I thought I still, it had a little more gas in the tank and I'm gonna get to it soon, right? But now I'm looking at it and going, if something doesn't change, I'm looking at broken down, or worse yet, the thing's totaled and handed to, headed to the scrapyard. That's where this ends up. Just pick any, any part of your life. And I'm not talking about like, unimportant things. I'm talking about big, important, stakes are really high. If I don't get this right, I mean, it's, it's gonna be bad, all right? That part of your life. My question is, what is the operating system? What is the faith system that you are counting on to get that part of your life to where you want it to go? And followed by this, how's that working for you, right? And if you don't like the answer, I guess there's two options. And personally, I've taken both of these, all right? One would be this. Well, you can just abandon what broke down on the side of the highway and go get a new one. And again, I'm not talking about trucks. You can do that, but uh, marriage, family, job. I mean, in the moment, in all that anger and frustration, that seems like the easiest solution. But the truth is, again, you gotta be honest with yourself, this isn't the first time that part of your life has broken down, right? And walking away and just getting a new one and starting over again, it didn't work the last time, at least long term. It felt good in the moment, but it didn't fix anything. So you could just ditch it and go get a new one. Or how about you could pull over, open the glove box, pull out the owner's manual, open up the hood and see what's truly going on and then make whatever adjustments you need to make, major or minor, to not just get back on the road, but hopefully not repeat the same user errors 
so that you can have more confidence, more faith, more trust that where I really wanna go with this part of my life can be a reality. And, and that brings us to, we're in this value series, all right, to our third value, and it, it's simply called this, spiritual formation. And there's, you know, if you, if you grew up in different churches and like that, you might call it different things. Some people call it like apprenticeship, or the, probably the most common church word is discipleship, okay? Discipleship, and we're gonna talk about that. But whatever you call it, this is what we're talking about here, all right? Spiritual formation is the process or journey of rethinking, and that's the same word Jesus used. He just said repent. It means the same thing. Re rethinking and then replacing our ideas, thoughts, and beliefs with what Jesus says is true and better and actually works, like in this world, all right? And then out of that, that leads to, if that's true, then I'm gonna begin to actively make decisions and choices about how I'm gonna live my life in a way that actually reflects that I believe that what Jesus says is true. I actually believe it's true. And so I'm gonna live out of that. So now a couple things, and we're gonna break this down a lot all, all day today, all right? So spiritual formation, that's a really key word there, is a journey. It's a process. It's not an event. You don't get spiritually reformed like Tuesday, all right? Um, the word formation, it means that something's being formed in, or, or reformed, all right? You're, you're reformatting like that internal, like, under the hood, like spiritual belief operating system internally that drives everything externally. Your practical daily choices and decisions that you make as you go down the highway called, called life, right? To get you to a destination. And that takes time. What do you mean by time? A lifetime. Your whole life, right? But to quote the great theologian Led Zeppelin, right? Um, yes, there are two paths you can go by, but in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on, right? The other thing to remember is this, is that as with any journey or any process, and this is the part we don't really like to think about, um, it has to start where you currently are, today. Not, not someday, today. Not, well, well, if things were different, hey, they're not, this is it. You gotta start somewhere. Someone wise said it this way, I don't know who it was, so I'm gonna claim it myself, <laughs> like this. You have lived your life perfectly to be experiencing the results that you are currently experiencing. Doesn't that sting? Everything that in your life has at, led up to this moment, whether it's your fault or not, this is the results we're living with. I mean, you look at it going, well, I ought to be making more money. I agree. All right, um, I, wish, I, I wish I was taller, shorter, skinnier, heavier, younger, older, smarter, more spiritual. Heads up, you're not, at least not today. It might be possible you become some of those things someday, but today, but today, this is it. And it has to start where you currently are right now, not some hypothetical if things were different. This is where we start. We've been looking at this, this one guy in the Bible, his name's Peter we're going to look at him all through this series, uh, who was one of the very first people on the planet to follow Jesus and put, put their faith and a little bit of trust in Jesus. But it would take years, years and a big movement by the Holy Spirit in his life for, for Peter to get his life operating differently. And eventually he did. He, he screwed it up and fell flat on his face on the side of the road several times. But, but eventually he, he got there, but it started with that very first step out of the boat. 
Their journey started there. The moment when Jesus said, come follow me, and he took one step in Jesus' direction, by definition, he was a follower. The first step, he was a disciple on a journey of spiritual formation to rethink what was true and what wasn't true about God, about himself, and about how this world and how life works best. I've used this metaphor a lot because I like the people involved, but my four grandkids, okay? I have six, but so four of them went, started school last week, all right? I have two in kindergarten and, and two in second grade, and they're doing what kindergartners and second graders do. They're learning their numbers, right? And they're learning basic math. So you, do you, you understand by definition, what that makes them? Mathematicians, right? In the same term that you would define or apply to a PhD teaching doctoral mathematics classes up at CU or at working at NASA shooting rockets into outer space. The only difference between those people and my grandkids is they're just a little bit further down the road. But we all had to start in the same place. One plus one equals Wait, wait, uh, right, two, okay? So with all that, let's, let's get even more specific on this definition of spiritual formation, and then we'll get into what it looks like, and then what it would look like if it actually drove everything that we do individually and as a church called Flatirons, okay? So let's look at it again. So spiritual formation is the process, the journey, of rethinking and replacing your current ideas, your current thoughts and beliefs if they're different with what Jesus says is true and better so that you can become, the, here's the destination. What's the point of all this? Where, where, where's this journey taking me? So that you can become the same kind of person as Jesus. Right, you, you get that? See, when you, when you believe what Jesus believes is true, right? And when you begin to think, because you have his mind like in your, in, your, in your head now, you begin to think the same way Jesus thinks, and then you begin to see things the, the way that Jesus sees them, then whatever you do, like wherever you are, whatever comes out of you, the same kind of words and actions and responses to other people, to what's happening in the world around you, that will come out of you. It will be the same as if Jesus was in your circumstance. What do you mean? If Jesus was living your life, if Jesus was married to the person you're married to, if Jesus was the parent of your children, if, 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 if Jesus had the same career you had. See, I, I grew up back in my youth pastor days where everybody strapped on one of those bracelets and said WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? And I would look at that and go, I don't know, cure cancer, right? Raise the dead, walk, walk on water, heads up. I don't think that's gonna be a reality in my life, no matter how much formation comes my way, right? I think the better question is this. What would I do differently with my life if I was the same kind of person that Jesus is, the same kind of person? And again, and I think we ought to give a disclaimer before we baptize people, right? You don't get zapped at your baptism, come up out of the water and go, ta-da, it's all different, Right, I'm a different person. My old thoughts, I don't remember anymore. My memories are gone. My wounds, my scars, my baggage are all gone. All that stuff, it just doesn't matter anymore. Eh, not true. No, when, when or whenever you decide to get baptized, it's just one more step on the journey. But that's not the end. There's a long way to go before formation into becoming the same kind of person as Jesus happens. So let's get really, really practical about it. Like, well, how does it happen? All right, how does it happen? So we're gonna break this down into, I, I broke it down to three, like at its simplest parts, okay? And I'm so proud of myself because all three of them rhyme. I worked hard, you're welcome. All right, so, okay, the first one, all right? The first one, if you're writing down, things down or you can memorize these, all right? The first one is no, no, no what? You, you, you gotta get to know Jesus. 
this is logical, okay? How, why am I gonna trust him and follow him if I don't even know him, all right? What do you mean know him? Like, what did Jesus actually say? I've heard some stuff he said, but I've never like, heard it, right? What would Jesus say? What did Jesus say was right and best and true? What did Jesus say would stand up to reality? You gotta get to know him. Get to know him. Actually, Jesus has a better phrase than know uh, for, for, for step one. He called it, he called it eternal life. And I know if you've gone to church a long time, you know, I say eternal life and a bunch of stuff coming into your head. I, I just want you to know, Jesus wasn't talking about because he died on a cross, your sins are forgiven, and after you die, after your funeral, you go to some Disney castle in the sky and live with God. That's not eternal life, according to Jesus. This is Jesus talking. He said this, now this is eternal life. So whatever comes after this is the right answer, right? So this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And the verse before that says that, that God the Father sent Jesus to us so that we can really get to know about God by just simply learning from Jesus. You wanna know about God? Look at Jesus. So, so, so step one is no. We, we have to put ourselves in a, a, a learner's or a student's posture. I wanna be a student. Again, the Bible word for that would be disciple or, or apprentice. I wanna become the same kind of you know, person that my mentor is, all right? Well, what's that look like? This. Right now, what, what, just by listening to this talk, whether you're 50 people in a room with me or 50,000 online across the world a year from now, you're doing it right now. The, the way that we say it around Flatirons is we learn in rows, and, and usually what comes to mind is means sit in big auditoriums with rows and sound systems and stuff like that. Yeah, okay, but, but that's not possible right now. We, we learn online, on couches, right? Whatever that is, all right? See, what you're doing right now is, and I, again, I don't know why people tuned into this or why you showed up here at this place today, but you're simply going, I'm looking for some more information about who Jesus is. I'd like to know what he's really like. What did he say was true? The kinds of things he did, the kinds of things that he promised, the, the way that he saw things, the way that he responded and treated different people in different situations. And I'd really like to know why he did it that way. I wanna know him. We, we covered this uh, the very first week. Every time that you open a Bible or listen to a teacher or read a book uh, about Jesus, you gotta ask God, hey, God, will you teach me something that's true about Jesus that Jesus said could be true for me? I wanna know him. And just like everything else, you know, we say this a lot, growth and formation takes time. It's not an event. God is not just gonna zap you one day and fill your brain, right, with, with more data, religious data, and then change all your old muscle memories and all your character flaws. They just go away overnight. It starts where you are, this is important, I'm gonna come back to it. As you are, and then the journey continues from there. Does that make sense? So step one is no, get to know Jesus. Step two is grow. See what I did there, all right, all right, all right. And this is, with this, this is where it gets uh, more risky. Or well, let's say, it feels more risky. And here's why I say that. Change, changing any part of your life is always feels risky because you haven't been there before. And that just feels scary. Let, let, let me explain, okay? Again, philosophy, here we go, right? There's a reason that you believe what you believe, okay? It didn't come out of nowhere. There's a, there's a reason. Your, your, your life from birth up to this moment right here, everything that you have experienced between then and now, how you were raised, the things that have happened to you, good or bad, right or wrong, 
have resulted in your current belief and operating system. Like when I say God, something comes to mind, right? And there's a reason for that. If I say Jesus, if I say marriage, if I say sex, if I say love, if I say family, if I say parenting, if I say money, if I say success, if I say forgiveness, if I say happiness, just fill in the blank, all right? If I say it or you read it or hear it, something comes to mind and this is what you see for a reason, for a reason. Your past experiences have become the lens through which you see everything. Does this make sense, right? So here's the problem or really, really the challenge. So you've always thought about God this way or sex this way or marriage in a certain way and you said, I think that's true. And then here comes Jesus and he says that something than what you've been holding on to and acting out of, something different is actually true. And then you're left with this dilemma or this decision. Maybe several, right? The first one is this. And see if you've ever processed this in your head, right? I believe that what Jesus says is true. He's Jesus, he would know, right? I think what he's saying is true, is probably true for other people, right? Followed by this. Why can't I believe that's true for me? I mean, that family over there or that, that lady or that, that couple and their marriage, right? Why, why can't I believe that's true for me? And the answer is, there's a reason. There's a reason. It's probably a really good reason. And right, right now, some of you are going, I know the reason. But some, I, a lot of us, right, we need some help figuring that out, processing it, and, and digging it out. So that's the first question we have to ask ourselves. The, the second dilemma or decision that you have to wrestle with goes like this, and this is just convicting. Am I willing to let go of my current belief system and take hold of this new one? And if I were to do that, what might happen? Because there's a risk. It may not be right, but it's all I know. And to let go of that just... It, it, it feels risky. And as we process this, this is my mind anyway, write stories about what could happen. And, and usually they're not positive, right? They usually go negative. Like, like I, don't, I don't see what Jesus says is, is true. I, I don't know how that could be better in my situation or how it would work in my marriage, all right? Or Jesus' way may be true and better, but it sounds really hard and not as much fun as what I'm currently doing, and I'm not sure I really want to change that part of my life today. And this is one of the most common ones for, for me and for a lot of folks I've talked to is this. I'm not even going to try to do that. I've tried before and I failed and I'm pretty sure it'll fail again. So I'm not even going to try to even think about changing that part of my life. So, so there's two things and then I'm going to give you the third like leg of the stool of spiritual formation and it rhymes. All right. So first, okay, why would you change? The only reason that you would take, and I'm, I'm just honoring it, okay? It's a risk. The only reason that you would risk letting go of something that you've always done, always believed and held on to, the only reason you would let go of that is because you trust the one inviting you to do it. You, why else would you risk this? And if you think growth takes time, so does trust, right? And the only way for trust to grow is to test it is to keep pushing into it more and more and more and more and more and more and more until trust grows, right? So I was fishing last, last week and a friend of mine said this, he's a pastor in a church in Knoxville, he, he said, you know, Jim, everybody's asking God to do this one big great thing in their life today. Change my this, change my this, change the world, fix my marriage, all, all today. That's not how God typically works. He can do anything he wants. That's not how he typically works. No, usually it's, so God shows me one little thing, so I do one little thing today. 
And then I take a little one and then another step and another step and then it's another step and then I keep going. And for all you banking people, it's like compound interest. It accrues. And then down the road, you'll look back and you'll say, God has done a huge thing in my life over time. And you can't look back and go, it all changed on Thursday, February, whatever. You can't, you can't do that, right? Or some, something changed in my, in my life. It's like, it's like this. When you were a little kid, or maybe you have little kids, did, did you or your parents or your grandma or whatever that is put you beside a door frame and then put a book and then make a mark? And then on your next birthday, put another mark and another mark and another mark and mark. And then you look at it and going, over the last 10 years, I've grown. But you can't look at that and go, oh yeah, I remember that. You don't. It, it's over time, it, it accumulates and it, and it grows, all right? It takes time. The second thing is this, and this is the part of my talk that a few years ago I would have said, I don't even like this part. As a matter of fact, if I was sitting in an audience listening to what I'm saying, this is where I'd lean over to Robin and go, I gotta, I gotta pee, I'm, I'm out, all right? Because I don't, I don't wanna lean into this because it felt so risky. And it's this, okay? And I mean this, all right? Um, if you wanna grow in that part of your life, you, you have to, and I know you're not allowed to say have to anymore because it sounds so, or whatever that is, so let me put it this way. It is infinitely better and more effective as you process this idea of, of taking on this new truth for your life. It works so much better if you were to get around some other people who are wanting to journey in the same direction towards the same destination, link arms and walk it together. It just works better, all right? Earlier I said we learn in rows. The second part of that is we grow in circles. We grow in circles. Right, and we see this all through the Bible. It's not like Flatirons made it up, all right? Like whenever Jesus would send out uh, his followers to do something, especially if it had never been done before, he always sent them out at least two at a time. He never sent somebody out there on, on their own. The very first churches, all right? And there's a book in the Bible called the book of Acts, and it's short for actions of the very first followers of Jesus, all right? The, 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 the first churches that launched 2,000 years ago, they did a few things in big rooms, in temples, uh, in, in auditoriums, in, in, in fields, all right, listening to teachers say this is what God says is true. But if you read through that, they spent most of their time sitting around tables or sitting around campfire or walking down the road together, right? Uh, the, the, the Bible says that they met house to house. There's no mention of them meeting church service to church service, Right? And what did they do around those tables? They were processing. They were trying to figure out how to apply what they had heard from God. How, how, do I, how do I do that in my life? They were challenging one another. And when one of them didn't do it very well, it jacked up the whole thing and fell flat on their face, they didn't shoot, they're wounded. They, they, they were in a community. They, 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 they picked one another up. They encouraged one another. Um, probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible that kind of makes this make sense. And for some reason, it's applied uh, because the word... Man is in here, but I think it, it applies across, across all genders. But have you ever heard this verse? Iron sharpens iron, and one man, and this would be one person, right? One man sharpens another. And that word sharpens, I studied this week in the Hebrew, it actually translates sharpens the other guy's face. Right? Well, what's that mean? We shave each other. I don't know, right? right? It means what sharp, sharpens the other person's character. Um sharpens their insight, how they can see. It sharpens their mind. Somehow we have this ability to do that for one another. I love, I love this translation. Sharpens their countenance. How a person carries himself on the outside based on what's really going on on the inside. 
we actually have that ability to do that with and for each other. And say, listen, I get it. I have all these same defenses coming up in me. The idea of getting together with some other men or some other women or some other couples and processing out loud, I have a hard time believing that's true at all or for me. And even if it's true, I don't wanna do it. That's risky, right? And here's the other thing. Um, if you've been around church world very long, you tried that and got burned, right? I have. I'm just saying as the last person in the world to risk sharing anything who I wasn't paying $200 an hour and had a document that I can sue their butt if they betray me, right? I'm saying the most life-changing times in my life where God's word has broken through and finally made sense going, I think I could have that in my life. It happened not in a church service. It happened in a conversation with some other men sitting in a circle who were going through the same things, looking back and going, yeah, me too. You wanna work on that together? That's why we don't, and again, if you're new to Flatirons, if you've been here a long time, let me explain something. We don't offer like a huge smorgasbord of a thousand things you can do at Flatirons, right? We, We don't, but the two that you will hear the most about are what we're doing like right now, what we do through our weekend teaching times, which is all about no, this is who Jesus is, this is what he said was true. We'll talk more about that next week, but I just wanna go, this is him, make up your own mind. All right, we're doing that right now. And then the other big thing that we do is groups. We, we grow. This is where we gather in circles and say, how's that working for you? How's what Jesus said is true? Could it be true for me? And why do I have a hard time? Anybody else have a hard time believing that's true? It happens in groups. I, I don't know why. It's how God wired us up. So I'm gonna take a time out and just do a shameless commercial. This week, group sign-up starts. All right, and, and that, that link is very, you can't even remember it very well, flatironschurch.com slash groups. Uh, can you say that again? No, it's right, right there, okay? Um, we have groups for men. We have groups for women. We have groups for divorced people. We have groups for people that wanna be married. We have groups for people that wanna be divorced, probably, all right? We have, we have groups, for every, we have people for brown-haired, brown brown left-handed people with glasses. I don't know, we have all kinds of groups. We have groups for high school students. We have groups for college students, for young, you know, couple, we have, we have groups. And all you have to do is get on there and, and just go on, I, they don't look evil. <laughs> I could, oh good. Here's the other thing about groups that nobody will say out loud. Try it. And if they're weird, don't go back. <laughs> I have joined groups before and went, yeah, see you next week. No way, in, right, right, right? <laughs> so so just, just try it, okay? I mean, you got, no, you got nothing to lose. You got possibly a lot to gain. Let's review this and get into that third leg, right? No, I gotta get to know Jesus. How? It starts with his word. It starts by being a learner, okay? And then I grow. I get in a group of some other people who are trying to get to know Jesus too and go, how are you doing? How are you doing? Let's do it together, right? Here's the third one, ready? Show. I'm an artist, all right? So, so no, grow, show. What does that mean? And I'll show you why I picked that word show in a minute. Get started living out your faith. How do you live out your faith? Well, step one, serving others. Now, let, let, let me lean into this, okay? Because the first two are pretty palatable. This one's inconvenient, right? See, knowing Jesus and then growing and then believing that what he says is true and better, to agree with that here doesn't change anything unless it leads to applying that truth and doing something as an expression that it actually is true. Let me, oh, we covered this last week. We don't do things 
in order to be saved. We don't do things for Jesus so that he will forgive us. But the more that we realize that we are saved and we are forgiven, it leads us to do different things that we wouldn't do unless that were true. See, a guy named James, this is a really great book of the Bible. If you, it's five chapters. I mean, you can read it like in, in 30 minutes. It's just rich, all right? He says this, in the same way, and right above this, he says, suppose you see somebody that's starving to death or cold, and you go, I'll pray for you, and you walk away. What good is that, right? In the same way, faith, and you can take out the word faith without you know, compromising scripture and say, belief or knowing what God says is true, it all says that. So in the same way, faith by itself, like in your head, if it is not accompanied by action, is, what's the word? It's dead. But someone will say, you have faith, well I have works, you're right? Here's, here's James' response. Show me, there it is, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You wanna see if I have faith? Watch. Watch what I do. James goes on to state, I don't have time to read all this, but right after this he says, hey, just so you know, the demons of hell believe all the same data and information about God that Christians do, right? According to the Bible, our authority, right? The only difference, and this is gonna explain some of the Christians you know, right? The, the only difference between a demon and a person who claims to believe in the one true God is that one of those actually acts and lives in such a way to demonstrate, I really believe it's true, and the other one, the demon, doesn't. Now that's convicting, right? And the number one word that described the kind of person that Jesus was, was the word servant. And you say holy and forgiving, it's servant. He served. Jesus let go of the highest position that you could have of power and authority, and he took on the form of a servant. He leveraged every part of his life, all of his time, all of his talent, all of his ability, all of his treasure to do whatever needed to be done so that lost and broken people who are far from God could come to know God and be saved, both physically and spiritually. See, whenever Jesus walked in a room, he, 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 he didn't walk in going, I'm God, give me the best chair. He never walked into a, 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 an environment and threw his God card on the table and goes, everybody get in line or go to hell. He could have, he was God, right? But if you read the stories of Jesus, whenever he walked into a room, he looked around for, for, for who needs help right now, and then he served. He met whatever need was needed to be filled. That's what he did. It's the kind of person he was. So, so first, spiritual formation happens by getting to know, know what I mean, God through Jesus, and then coming together with others so that we can grow and we can encourage and help one another believe that what Jesus says is true, really is true, and can be true for one another. That could be true for us. But none of that will make any difference at all in your life or in the world except on an emotional, well, I feel better about myself level until you take what you say you believe and what you've learned from God and you show your faith by what you do. You put it into practice by serving those around you. That's the first thing, and here's the argument that comes in their head, well, I don't, I don't even know how to do that. Listen, you are surrounded by serving opportunities every day if we'll just pay attention. And this is the part that in any other you know, value series, I would try to recruit you to work in our kids' ministry or in our parking lots or to serve bagels and coffee or, or, or whatever that is, go on a mission, whatever that is, okay? That, not this year, okay? I'm not talking about serving at church, right? In, in your own home, you don't have to leave the house to, to be this kind of person that serves. Um, in your school, 
for those who are going to school, in, in your neighborhood. And I, listen, I'm not talking about these big, huge, change the world, I'm gonna become a missionary, move to Africa. Not today, you're not, right? Just everyday things you do. I, if, if we walked out the front door or got out of bed with, okay, I got some time, nobody has enough time, but I got some time, I, I got some ability, I got some experience, I got some money, how could I leverage that for, for someone else who needs something? That is the definition of service. And here's the question that comes to mind. I am busy, I don't have enough of any of those things. Why would I do that? And the only answer is it's the destination because you're becoming the same kind of person as Jesus. Otherwise, just keep doing what you're doing. So I, I wanna close with like, kind of a, visually one of my favorite descriptions of what I think Jesus had in mind when he thought the whole church up thing up and went, let there be church, all right? This is what I was thinking. You find it in a letter, and a few weeks ago, Ben made reference to it in, in one of his talks, but it, a guy named Paul, uh, who wrote a big chunk of the Bible, but he wrote a letter to a church of young Christians who lived in a city called Corinth. The book's called Corinthians, First Corinthians, all right? all right? And he reminds them of a couple of things. He reminds them of who they are now, but also reminds them of where they came from and what happened in between on that journey. Listen to this, all right? And you can read the whole chapter later if you want. Now listen, I'm gonna read some culturally buzzwords and you're gonna go, oh, are you saying, just take a breath, all right? Just take the whole thing in and why'd you pick up that, that word and not the others, okay? Well, never mind. Okay, so, so he, I think Paul's so sarcastic too. Do you not know, like, Everybody knows, right? Do you not know that the unrighteous, the wrongdoers, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Time out. He's not saying that these people are going to hell. What he's saying, the kingdom of God is walking through life in a with God relationship, in a personal, intimate relationship. He says, there's some things that are gonna cut you off from what is possible with, with, with living your life with God. Don't you, don't you know that? He says, don't be deceived, don't lie to yourself. About what? See, neither the sexually immoral, here comes the list, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such, what's the next word? Were. That's what you were. Right? But, you were, something happened, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. No, come back to this, all right? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our, our God. See, I think, this is how my brain works. It's kind of weird, but I think that as Paul is writing this letter, he's remembering the last time he was in Corinth and who was in the room the last time he was there. And I think faces and names and stories are coming to mind. And the reason I think that is because I do the same thing, Right? I look out there, like maybe, maybe Paul did something like that. He's writing that letter and he goes, oh, Corinth, oh, Bob. I remember Bob, he was nuts, all right? He was just sexually just out there, out of control. And then like on the third row was Betty. I know of at least five marriages she blew up and Joe was there in the back, drunk. Jake was there, fresh out of jail, all right? I think he's just mentally working the room. I really, really do, all right? Because the church back then was full of people like that. Hear the rest of this. Like it's supposed to be, right? Like it's supposed to be. But at some moment between that first moment where they stumble into that type of environment, 
to this letter being written, something changed. Because the second part of that, the definition changed from those who are to those who were something, but now there's something different. Now, they're becoming something. What happened? Look at it again. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He did it. And by the spirit of our God. Let's just break that down. Washed, what do you mean? Somewhere in your faith journey, when you put some level of trust in Jesus, you were washed. You were given a clean, new life. I'm not talking about a second chance. Lord, I'm gonna pray this. Just give me another chance. I don't want a second chance at this life. I need a whole new one from above that's clean. There was a moment in your life where that happened. You were sanctified, and that's a big religious word. It says this, you were and still are, you were spiritually formed, and still that's the process still going on, over time into something new moving forward. We all know what used to be, right? Now I'm being formed into something. I've been, I'm sanctified. I'm changing, right? And the last word is justified. This happened at the moment that you put a little bit of faith in Jesus. You were declared righteous by God. You put a little faith in Jesus and God looks at you and goes, we're good. We're good. From now on, you and I are good. Something changed because people entered into a journey. This is important, right? Because Christians are really uncomfortable with this. They came as they were doing what they do because that was their current belief system had led them, this is how you live your life. It's just, it's just true. And then step by step, and none of us are in charge of how fast those steps take place, that change takes place. But something happened over time, something happened and was still happening, and they became something different. I'm gonna go out on a limb here. Something better than they were. But the only reason, the only reason any of them even got into that journey is that somebody who was already a little bit farther down the road Whoa, 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 they went back and got him and said, come on, walk with me. So here's my, here's, I'm gonna close different tonight, but here's my idea of the perfect church. How do you know if Flatirons has finally got it? And again, this makes a lot of people uncomfortable. I think a third of the people who call Flatirons, that's my church, are that list. Right? Nothing's changed. They're lost and broken people acting lost and broken. Right? Broken people break people. It just makes sense, all right? It's just, they're just really messed up, but they're looking for something. I think the middle third are those of us who have taken maybe a few steps, one or two, towards Jesus, and we're beginning to trust him more and more. Jesus, point out to me what, what needs to be washed, what change what needs to be changed. I'm, I'm in the process, but I'm in the process. And then there's a third of us who are saying, okay, I've got some stuff together. I'm growing in my faith. And the way I know that is it manifests itself into putting into practice what I ha have received. What's that look like? By serving those around me and going back and getting the next third to get in the journey with us. That's, that's what I think Jesus had in mind. But please hear this, spiritual formation, no grow show, life change, is a journey, and it involves moving forward and reaching back. I'm gonna talk a lot about that next week. So I'm gonna close, uh, something different, all right? Um, so I mentioned I went fishing last week, and well, after we done fishing for the day, we were around a campfire, and everybody was like talking, stuff like that, and then uh, one guy said, hey Jim, listen to this song, and I heard this song, it's not a new song, it's just new to me. So when I was putting this talk together, I was thinking of how to end. This song reminds me, and hopefully it will remind us of some stuff that we tend to forget. And Mark's gonna sing this, awesome, and uh, 
But the lyrics, the name of the song is called Further Along, right? And it has all these questions about, why does that happen? Why does he get to do that? And, and why does bad stuff happen to good people? And, and when, when did I go so wrong? And I just don't understand. I, all this, all right? And you're like, God, just tell me, when am I gonna understand? And here comes the answer. Further along, not today. By and by, down the road, you'll understand. So Mark's gonna sing this, and then I'll come back close with prayer, and then uh, we'll get out of here. <laughs> 